was waiting on the drummer. Good morning, Firewheel, and welcome. Thank you all for braving this winter weather to come out and be here this morning, and thank you all at home as well for tuning in and joining us. God is so, so very good. Let's celebrate that this morning. Everybody, please rise and sing along with us. All your 
In the darkness we were away without hope, 
we have received bundles of beautiful quilts, bags of clothes, warm coats, hats, and gloves. We also mentioned Life Message, the food pantry, and we have received boxes and bags of non-perishable food. It is a beautiful thing. Family, let's continue to be generous. Please bring your donations by the church. You can drop them out up front. We have a box set up under the porte or you can also drop them off on Sunday morning when you're attending service. Our Christmas Eve candlelight service will be at five o'clock and it will be both in person and online. We'll have a wonderful time singing some traditional Christmas music, a special presentation for the kids called Storytime with Pastor Chris, a short message out of the Gospel of Luke, and some great fellowship. It is going to be a wonderful and worshipful time, and we cannot wait to see you there. Now, as we close out our calendar year, I would ask that you prayerfully consider your gifts and offerings to the church. Let's be as generous as possible. You can give online, through text message, through the mail, or you can also bring your offering to the church on Sunday morning and drop it in one of the offering boxes. Thank you in advance. For more information of what is happening in and around Firewheel, please check your newsletter or go online to www.firewheelfellowship.com. This week, we pick back up in our traditions series as we continue to unfold the gospel of Luke and the true reason for this season. Family, I want you to know that these are tough times, but we're getting through it together. And do not forget, you are loved. We'll see you soon. the cookies that the girls help mommy make. And we see Santa and take pictures with Santa every year. And we also write letters. There's a Santa mailbox in the neighborhood. So their Christmas letters go straight to Santa. Christmas lights. We like to go look at Christmas lights. service and you usually wear with wear your um rhubarb right yeah. I, I wear my rhubarb every christmas for the greens and have a merry christmas merry christmas merry christmas bye isn't it wonderful being invited in and to see the different traditions of the families that make up the church. Let's open our Bibles. Everybody say word. 
We are in Luke chapter 1. We are picking up where we left off last week. Uh, just as, as a reminder, the purpose of the gospel of Luke, we're going to begin in verse 1 through verse 4. Uh, Inasmuch, Luke begins, as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. That is the, the reciprocity of the message that we receive and then we in turn find opportunity to give this message to others. Luke writes this, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, a name meaning lover of God, uh, some type of, of Roman official, I believe a high-ranking uh, person in society, but really this is a letter and a gospel account for all who are lovers of God that you may have what? Certainty concerning the things that you have been, uh, that you have been taught. And so Luke assures Theophilus and every reader that is to follow in his introduction that he has researched faithfully and is going to faithfully report all of the things that he has learned. And, and the purpose was so that Theophilus and any person following in reading of, of this gospel account would have certainty concerning the things taught. And this morning, we are going to be provided certainty concerning the miraculous and virgin birth of Jesus. Now, whether one believes in the virgin birth or not is really a secondary issue. Luke is going to report what has happened. This is what took place. This is the is. Now, what we do with it, that is something that we will be left with this morning. So let's turn in our Bibles now to verse 26, where we pick up right where we left off last week. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Can anybody remember where the angel Gabriel was sent in our study from last week? Any idea where the angel Gabriel was sent? To Jerusalem. That is right. The angel Gabriel was sent to Jerusalem. Do you all remember who he was sent to? A guy by the name of what? Zachariah, old Zachariah and Liz, right? They, they had prayed, they wanted to have children, they were a good and godly couple, but they had no children. And the angel declared to them that they would not only have a child, but that they would have a John, one who would come in the fulfillment of what we read at the conclusion of Malachi chapter 4, one who would be in the power and come in the power of Elijah to prepare the way of the Lord, to turn the hearts of the people to God. What did, did Zechariah believe that message? You all remember that from last week? In verse 18, he's like, how will this be? And the angel Gabriel declared, I've been sent from God. I stood in the presence of God. And since you struggled to believe this, you will be mute. And so he finishes his time in the temple. He makes his way outside the greatest game of charades ever as he's trying to explain to his fellow priest what had happened inside the temple. But 400 years of silence had been broken. God had spoke. And he ran home, mute, but as we talked about last week, there wasn't a whole lot of talking going on in the house. And, and very quickly, uh, they, uh, Elizabeth became pregnant. And for five months, she was in hiding. So now in the sixth month is where we're picking up. The angel is sent to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was what? Mary, there you go. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. 
But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name what? Is there any greater name? You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, eminent, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Verse 37, underline it, highlight it in your Bible, and don't forget it, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Okay, this morning I have prepared a message. In my finite hands it is five little loaves and two fish. And so we're going to pray together, and we're going to ask that God would take this message, that, that the Lord Jesus himself would take it, bless it, break it, so that we can all leave spiritually satisfied. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning uh, for this record uh, of the announcement of your arrival, the miraculous nature of it, the fulfillment of it. And this morning, Lord, I've prepared a message, and in my hands it is insufficient, but we're going to ask together as a church that you would take this message, that you would bless it, that you would break it and distribute it to each of us as we have spiritual need this morning, and that we in turn would give it to others. We ask this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. Now, between verses 25 and 26 of Luke chapter 1, there has been roughly a month that has passed. And what I think is really cool about what we're studying this morning is that many commentators believe that Luke got this record, this account, from Mary herself. I just think that's awesome that Luke got to sit down and got a firsthand eyewitness account of the things that we are going to unfold this morning. We are told that the angel was first sent to priest and now to peasant. Verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And we've already talked about this when it references sixth month. That would be the sixth month of uh, Elizabeth's pregnancy. And what this is telling us is these births are linked. Okay, the birth of John and the birth of Jesus, they're together. That we do not have the ministry of John the Baptist if we don't have the ministry of Jesus. And we do not have the ministry of Jesus if we do not have the ministry of John the Baptist. And again, we see this angel Gabriel being sent by God to declare a miraculous birth. Now, as I study this, it makes sense to me that the angel was sent first to Jerusalem. I mean, that's the center of Jewish worship. And of course, to a priest. But it's a little bit of a noodle scratcher that he's then sent to Nazareth. Luke calls Nazareth a city. That's really a stretch. It was more like a village. 
in the outskirts in, in, in Galilee, probably one of the more insignificant villages, in fact, in all of Israel. And that is where the angel Gabriel was sent. And so, you know, this morning I got my laser pointer. What do you think I'm going to show you? A map! Absolutely! Aren't maps awesome? I love maps. If I was on Dora the Explorer, I'm a map, I'm a map, I'm a map. Okay, you all get it. That's a really annoying song. If any of you have not had the pleasure of watching Dora the Explorer, I'm sure you can find it on Netflix. Anyway, there is Jerusalem on the map. And so as the crow flies, Jerusalem and Nazareth about 65 miles apart. If you're driving there today, it'd take about an hour and 40 minutes to get to Nazareth. Now, nothing good's coming out of Nazareth. I mean, that was the perspective of the day. And what we were told is that the angel is not only being sent to this obscure little village in Nazareth, but he's being sent to a couple who on paper, like if you ran into this couple, there's no way that you would think to yourself, God's going to powerfully use them to bring about salvation history. Because on paper, they're going to seem a little bit insignificant. But isn't that how God does it? We pick up in verse 27, again, the angel sent uh, from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a what? Virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, twice in one verse, we are told that this young lady named Mary is a virgin. Now, I want you to keep in mind, before she was Mary, the mother of Jesus, she was just Mary, betrothed to Joseph. It's, an, it's a very important detail for us to see that at this point in time, in the narrative and in salvation history, this young lady is a virgin. That is one detail that we cannot overlook. That is one detail we cannot minimize or disregard. You can say that you believe in Jesus, but if you say in the same breath that you then don't believe in the virgin birth of Jesus, then you're believing in a Jesus that is not biblical and not, uh, not reality. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, and the double mention of that in one verse should bring to mind a passage from the Old Testament. In fact, from the prophet Isaiah. But this ancient prophecy in chapter 7 of Isaiah, verse 14, that therefore the Lord will give you a sign, that we should be able to scan all of human history, and when we see this thing take place, we should immediately go, that is the promised one. It is a sign that is so profound and so miraculous that no one should be able to miss it. The sign, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. In Matthew's gospel, we are, we are told Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Now, just so there's no confusion and there's no ambiguity, uh, as sometimes people seem confused about the term virgin, I'm going to quote here from J. Vernon McGee. I think he clears things up here. Two times in one verse, she is called a virgin. Do you know what a virgin is? I ask this because many folks do not seem to know. A virgin is a woman who could never have a child in a natural way because she's never had a relationship with a man that would make the birth of a child possible. Is that clear? That does seem relatively clear. Thanks, JV. I appreciate that. Well, we're told that she was betrothed to a man by the name of Jesus or Joseph. 
And what's fascinating is as we look at the, the Jewish betrothal uh, custom that a, a young lady somewhere between the age of 12 and 14 would be betrothed. And it, it's, it wasn't like uh, our contemporary uh, uh, engagement periods where a couple would be engaged or not engaged. They would live together, not live together. Maybe the engagement will go on for nine years. No, this betrothal period was a set period. They would not live together but they would be considered as good as married. And I, I look at that and I'm like, wow, somewhere between 12 and 14, my oldest son is 14. Like the thought of him getting married this year, I'm like, I just want him to clean his room. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but here we have this young Jewish couple betrothed to each other, barely teenagers, uh, but there's something rather important. And if we miss this, we may miss it. We are told that Joseph is of the house of or of the lineage of King David, which should immediately perk up our ears because there were very significant promises that were made to King David. That through the line of King David would come a king, his descendant, this eternal king who would sit on his throne and rule in the kingdom of God on earth. I quote here from Haley's Handbook, a fantastic resource, by the way. For any of you who desire to study the Bible, I strongly recommend Haley's Handbook. Uh, it's written here, the Messiah was to be born of David's line. It had been a thousand years since the time of David, and there had come to be thousands of families of Davidic descent, God in choosing the one family through whom his son should come into the world bypass, listen to this, bypass the ruling families around Jerusalem and instead went to a humble woman from a lowly home in an obscure village in the distant hills of Galilee. Isn't that how God works? He chooses those the world would overlook, the marginalized and the easily forgotten especially among the religious. You know, among the religious elite of this day, nothing good was coming out of Nazareth. Nothing important nor significant. How wrong they were. The angel Gabriel greets Mary, and he came to her and he said, Greetings, literally rejoice. O favored one, the Lord is with you. You know, in the narrative, we read nothing of anything that would, would warrant God's favor as it relates to Mary. You know, in the description of Zechariah and Elizabeth, we read that they were good and godly, blameless, walking in the commandments of the Lord. But all we know of, of Mary at this point is that she is a young Jewish teenage virgin betrothed to Joseph in this no-nothing village called Nazareth. This, this Jewish girl had no claim to favored status with God. God simply chose to pour his grace on her. Please don't miss this. God does not show us his grace because we are worthy or deserving. God pours his grace on us because God is gracious. None of us earns it. None of us deserves it. We just humbly receive it. You know, never in her life had she ever been confused with someone who was highly favored before God. 
And she is told right up front these wonderful words that no matter what she was going to experience going forward, the Lord was going to be with her. Y'all, that's very reassuring news. That God would be with her in presence and provision and protection from the very start. I mean, she's immediately going to miraculously conceive a child. The Lord is with her. It would soon become news that she was pregnant during the betrothal period. The Lord would be with her. Her betrothed Joseph would, would try to, to put, her, put her out silently or quietly or divorce her quietly as to not shame her. Can you imagine that conversation at home? The Lord was with her. She was then nine months later going to deliver the baby Jesus in, in an animal stable with a bewildered Joseph or some other volunteer as the midwife. The Lord would be with her. Not long after, the lunatic Herod the Great would set out to, to kill all children to and under in the city of Bethlehem where they were staying and they would have to flee to Egypt. The Lord would be with her. As a young family, they would return back to Nazareth and their family would grow. The Lord was with her. She would then be tasked with raising the Son of God. Y'all think you got pressure raising kids? Imagine raising the Son of God. Joseph himself would be a stepfather. You want to talk about a blended family, right? In his case, think about this. His stepson's dad is God. <laughs> the Lord would be with them. And then ultimately, she's going to see her firstborn son suffer and die on the cross for the world's sins, hers included. The Lord was going to be with her. Now, of course, we know that none of that was on her radar right now. But this news coming right up front, this, this guarantee that the Lord was going to be with her, and to me, I look at that, I'm like, you know what? Through it all, the Lord is with us. His, his provision, His protection, His presence. We are guaranteed that in the Lord that, that he will never leave us nor forsake us, that no matter where we are at in this life, no matter what we're going to experience. I mean, there's no way that, that in 2019 going to 2020, we knew what we were going to be experiencing. The Lord is with us. And we have no idea what the next year is going to bring or next week or tomorrow, but the Lord is with us. That is very comforting. Her response is similar to that of Zechariah because she's troubled. I mean, the, this angel speaking these words to her, and she's trying to figure it out. But I see, I think we get a real glimpse of her humility. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern, discern what sort of greeting this might be in verse 29. I mean, who was she, really? Who was she to receive such favor from God? The angel, just like with Zechariah, relays that he had not been sent with a message of fear, but one of joy. And this is what really, really warms my heart. God knew her by name. The angel Gabriel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. That's twice now. She is told that she had found favor, grace from God. God knew her by name. She had been chosen for this significant purpose. 
I quote here from Reginald Fuller who writes this, God has given favor to the one who had no claims worthy of status, raised her up from a position of lowliness and chosen her to have a central role in salvation history. None of us is worthy. None of us is worthy to be used by God, called, chosen, set apart for his divine purposes. The angel proceeded to unfold for Mary in short order then the most significant declaration the most significant announcement that has, has ever been proclaimed for any of us who claim to love Jesus, for any of us who, who say that, yes, that we are followers, that we're lovers of Jesus, this announcement we're about to read should elicit incredible joy. For this is the first mention of his name. Up until now in the Gospel of Luke, his name has not been mentioned. Do y'all remember the first time you heard his name? And I mean really heard his name. And I'm not talking about you slam your, your thumb with a hammer and, and his name comes out. Or you get onto 635 and it's bumper to bumper traffic. I'm not talking about that. But the day where you really heard his name and his name is Jesus and all of a sudden he became, became the most important person in your life. You don't remember that day? Up until now, and throughout history, up until this moment in the Gospel of Luke, he'd been known as Messiah, the one who would come, the king, but all of a sudden now we have his name. Verse 31. The angel declared, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name. Let's say it together, everybody. Is there... There is no greater name. At the name of every knee will bow, every tongue confess. A name meaning Yahweh saves. And he will be great, eminent, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. It's him! This familiar Christmas reading, it's him. It's him. Thanks, Brad. <laughs> and of his kingdom, there will be no end. We should, we should listen to it read to us. We should read this. We should meditate on this. Mary is told that she's going to give birth to a king. And not just a king, but the king. Who will rule and reign over the house of Israel and will establish the kingdom of God on earth. And there's like immediacy to these words. There would be no delay. In short order, Mary will conceive, and nine months later, she will give birth to the Son of God. And somehow in the moment, like, I just want to be like Mary when I grow up, okay? So like, somewhere in the moment, she just understood. Like, she understood that there was going to be a fulfillment and, and, and for her, the only question that she had was a rather logical one. And I can imagine as she's sitting down with Luke, she's telling Luke, she's like, okay, so, so he's telling me all this, but then I had this one question. 
Luke 1.34, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a... This is the third time. And in a very short series of verses that we were reminded that Mary is a virgin. And if you're still confused on what that term means, please go back to J. Vernon McGee's definition. He provides a very pretty good definition of what that means. Mary asks, How can I become pregnant? I am a betrothed virgin. And I'm so grateful she asked this question. Because then we're provided information that we're not provided anywhere else in the Bible. That if this was not provided, we'd always be wondering, like, hey, how did this happen? How, how did the virgin conceive and give birth to Jesus? Like, how did this come about? How did this come about through the Holy Spirit? Verse 35, this divine mystery. And the angel answered her and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Son of God. You know, these words get placed, in my opinion, in the realm of divine mystery. You know, it's, it's language very similar to what we read of the, in the Old Testament when the, the power of God, the presence of God, and the Spirit came upon tabernacle and temple. That in the mystery of the womb of Mary would be knit together like the divine DNA of the eternal Jesus and the human DNA of Mary in such a way that, that neither Jesus' divinity nor his humanity would be lessened, diminished, or distorted in any way. That to be born of Mary would be one who was fully God, fully man, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Most High God, the Son of Mary, the Savior of the world. <laughs> Do y'all remember when you first heard his name? Like really heard it. Now Mary is informed of another miraculous pregnancy. Is already shared that these, these births are interwoven together. And behold, your, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. What? Old Liz? She's pregnant? And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. We have no idea how they're related but we do know on the following verses, we're not going to cover them this morning, but in verse 39 and following, like they visit each other. And it's this beautiful picture where these, these two women who are being used so significantly, like their children, are, it's, it's John and it's Jesus. And when Mary comes into the household, Zachariah didn't say anything because he's still quiet at that point. But that Elizabeth sees Mary and immediately John starts jumping around. It's him, it's him, it's him. But it all seems pretty impossible, doesn't it? I mean, if we really put it down on paper, right? And then the angel proclaims one of the more profound statements in the Bible, what seems impossible just isn't. Verse 37, let's read this together. For nothing will be impossible with God. Let's read that again. For nothing will be 
impossible with God. If God declares that the barren womb will bear a child, the barren womb will bear a child. Let's say it again. For nothing will be impossible with God. If God declares that the virgin womb will conceive and bear a son, for nothing will be impossible with God. If God declares that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he is the one who's been promised, that he has come, born of a virgin, to suffer and die for the world's sins on the cross, to be buried, to rise three days after, to provide salvation to all who believe that he would ascend to heaven, to return at a fixed time, to gather up his church, to establish his kingdom on earth, to fulfill prophetic promise, then you know what? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the promised one. He has come born of a virgin to suffer and die on the cross for the world's sins, to be buried, to rise on the third day, to give salvation and life to all who believe, to ascend into heaven, to return at a fixed time, to gather up his church, to establish his kingdom on planet earth, and to fulfill every prophetic promise that has been written of him. For nothing will be impossible with God. <laughs> and if God declares that a strung out, drugged out, lost and homeless street kid will one day stand before the household of faith to declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, then you know what? A drugged out, strung out, homeless street kid will stand before God's people and declare that Jesus Christ is God. For nothing is impossible for the Lord. There is no marriage too far gone. There is no heart too hard. There is no child too lost. There is no need too big. There is no sickness too terminal. There is no virus too contagious. And there is no rock ever created that he can't lift. <laughs> but for some, the impossibility of it all is just too impossible. Some struggle to believe. When we read passages like this, like our minds can flood with doubts. I know that from experience. Like I said from the beginning, this is a record of what has happened. This is the what is. Now what we do with that, whether we believe or, or we don't believe, whether we receive it or we reject it, this is the unfolding of the gospel of salvation to all who believe. But I was reminded even this morning in my reading out of John chapter 6 that there were disciples that were among Jesus that when Jesus did miracles, boy, they were ready to crown him king. But the second he started teaching, all of a sudden they turned and walked away. Jesus was not able to convince everybody. To which he turned to his 12 disciples and he said, are you going to follow them also? And that is where Peter declared, no, you are. You are the son of God. You have the words of eternal life. Peter's like, where else will we go? And we're told that even among the 12, one was a devil. There are some who will believe and there are some who will not believe. There are some who will receive and there are some who will reject. It is the parable of the soils. The seed is cast. Some will fall among rocks, some along weed-infested, some dry path, hard path that gets picked up by, by the devil himself. But some of these words are going to fall upon fertile soil. And they will produce fruit 
at harvest, in fact. We are left with Mary's humble posture. Again, I want to be her when I grow up. For she takes the only spiritually sane posture we can take before the Lord and his will. Listen to this, verse 38. Keep in mind, somewhere between 12 and 14 years old. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I am a servant. That is, that is the same word that Paul uses in the masculine when he says that he's a servant of the Lord. It is the Greek word doulos. It is, it is bondservant or slave. I am totally surrendered before you, Lord, and your will and your purposes, not only for earth, but for my life. And at that moment, that is where the angel departed from her. I think all of us, when full of the Holy Spirit, well, I know, when full of the Holy Spirit, that is the posture we take before the Lord. That is our prayer. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In my life, we are all just simply servants. There's no hierarchy in the faith. There are no super servants. We are all just simply servants approaching the same way in the posture of surrender. So this morning, what are we leaving with? This is important, right? Like, we don't just, we want to study the Word, but how do we apply this to our life? What are we taking with us today? What spiritual steps are we going to take this week? I have a few spiritual recommendations for us. First, God's favor there was nothing about Mary that seemed to warrant the unbelievable favor and grace that God showed her. But you know what? That's God's grace. God's grace is not just for the good little girls and boys of this world. God's grace, his love, his favor is for all, is for the prodigal and the prostitute, the tax collector, the garbage collector, the murderer, the thief, the pagan, the priest, the atheist, the alcoholic, the educated, the uh, illiterate, those who live in luxury and those who live in homeless shelters, those from developed countries or those from undeveloped countries. God's grace is for every single man, woman, and child of planet Earth. None of us deserves it. None of us earns it. None of us is superior. We have no right to look down our noses at any other human being. If we have it, we've received it. And if we've received it, it's been received by grace. A grace that we need every single day, every hour, every minute of every single day. And if we're recipients of God's divine grace and favor through the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that our hearts will be filled with, 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 with gratitude. You know, I don't know what the, the gifts are going to be underneath the tree, but the greatest gift we've all received is salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. It is by grace that we are saved. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast or brag or strut. It is the gift of God. And we may be looking at our world right now and be like, I don't have a whole lot to be grateful for or thankful for. And it's like we got, we got, a, uh, we got, a, we got a problem there because we always have something to be grateful for as believers. Because we're recipients of divine favor and grace. 
May we have hearts of gratitude this week to then also share that gratitude with others of what the Lord has done for us. And we often get all mixed up when it comes to evangelism, right? Sharing the gospel, how do we do that? You know what it is? It's one, one person sharing their story with another person. This is what the Lord has done for me. And as, as we share our story with those who may not know Jesus, you know what happens? We are filled again with a fresh and new gratitude for what he has done for us. And maybe, just maybe, that person is that person who's going to hear at that very moment that God is calling them by name. And you're that person that God's going to use to be that, that one. Like Jesus goes and finds that lost sheep and puts that sheep on his shoulder. Maybe as you're sharing God, Jesus is picking them up on his shoulder and carrying them home and rejoicing and going, my child who was lost is now saved. And we got to be a part of that. God's favor. Secondly, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with us. I love that is what the angel Gabriel told Mary right from the start. This, is, this encourages me. Because truth be told, I forget this. I forget that the Lord is with us, right? Like I, I look at circumstances and people and the way things are going and the way the things of the world, and I'm like, oh, we're alone. But we're promised of his presence and his provision and his protection. He will not leave us nor forsake us. He is with us right now. Nothing can separate us from his love. We've got to remind ourselves of that. We've got to remind each other. The Lord is with you. And then finally, the posture of surrender. I'm going to call this the power of surrender. I'm just so impressed with Mary. Where she simply bows before the Lord and she declares, I'm a servant of God. Y'all, we think of surrender as weakness. And, and it, it is, actually. It's recognizing and being willing to meet, uh, admit our weakness. It's where we take this posture of surrender... And here's the paradox, right? Like, where we are weak, then we experience his power. If we desire to experience the fullness of God's power in and through our life, it comes through the posture of surrender. And that is when his power is at its fullest. May we take this posture, just like Mary. And do not forget, nothing is impossible with God. Lord, we thank you this morning. We thank you for your precious scriptures. As they, they, they reveal to us, they teach us, we grow through, we learn. Our hearts are stirred to greater faith. To greater belief. If you have not received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, it is the greatest gift that any person can receive. It is the greatest gift that has ever been given. Jesus, the Son of God, came to suffer and die on the cross for the world's sins, yours included. He has been buried and he has risen. He has ascended to heaven where he will return to gather up his church, those who believe. If you desire to invite Jesus into your heart, into your life, that you believe, 
that this is maybe the first time you've really heard his name. In the quietness of your heart, tell him, Jesus, I believe. I believe that you came. I believe what you have taught, and I believe that you suffered and died on the cross for my sins. Lord, I confess that I'm a sinner. I'm undeserving of your goodness. Please forgive me. Come into my life and make me new. Cleanse me. that is truly your heart's prayer, the Bible declares you pass from death to life, from blindness, spiritual blindness, to spiritual sight. You are now holy, filled with his holy presence. Glory. We love you, Jesus. Stir our hearts to greater greater joy and gratitude this week. We pray this all in your name. Amen. All right, we're going to see another tradition for another beautiful family. Go ahead and roll that. couple. All right, let's stand together for it is time to go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. 
Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. And share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. So we meet again, same time, same place next week. And do not forget, family, you are loved. Have a wonderful day. Now let's carry that love outside these doors. And family at home, you are loved. We'll see you next time.